I, I, uh, I really can't express to you in words how overwhelmed I am by God's grace. Just, just being here this morning, um, what you likely don't know is I remember where I was sitting as a college student the first time I heard a message from Passion. And the Lord used that conference to open up my eyes and my heart in an entirely new way to God's glory in Christ and the reason I exist for God's glory in Christ. And I, mean, I remember where I was sitting, it was just a jaw on the ground type of moment that changed the trajectory of my life. And uh, I just, I praise God for his grace to me through Louis and through passion. I was just, in my time with the Lord this morning, it was just praising God, you have and passion and what this church is a part of and doing and all kinds of cultures, you have significantly shaped who I am. And for that, I just, I'm so grateful to God for his grace. And so. So the opportunity to, to worship with you and Lord willing serve you, I just want to serve you well with the word in the next few minutes. So uh, if you have a Bible, and I hope you or somebody around you does, you can look on with, let me invite you to open with me to Romans chapter 5. This Global Institute, we explored uh, a lot of truths yesterday in particular that I that I don't think, as I was praying about this time, I don't think we're just for those who are involved in that lab. I believe there's, there's a word here for this entire house. And so, before we dive into Romans 5, so, so love is a strange thing, and love makes you do strange things. So my, my wife, who's sitting over here, is the only girl I ever dated, which sounds noble, until you realize I was just socially awkward growing up <laughs> and was afraid to talk to girls, even in high school. Uh, and so God, in his mercy, provided a girl who was somehow attracted to my social awkwardness. And, uh, and so, uh, so she started talking to me. And so I was like, ah, oh, I need to hold on to her. So the um, <laughs> only problem was she's a year older than I am. So this was right here in Metro Atlanta. I grew up here. And so she's a year older than I am. So this was uh, my junior year, her senior year in high school when we met. And so she left to go to college and I was uh, stuck without the girl who would talk to me. And uh, so anyway, I wanted to obviously continue that friendship. Well, fast forward, uh, we ended up getting married years later and then uh, at an anniversary we celebrated not too long ago, she gave me a, a, a scrapbook that she made where she took all kinds of different notes and letters that I had written her over the course of our relationship and she put them all in the scrapbook. And so I'm gonna risk any semblance of uh, reputation I might could have uh, by sharing with you a very small portion from one of those letters, an, an extremely small portion. So... Uh, so let me, let me set this one up. So she had just moved off to college. I was still in high school, and I missed her. Now, technically, we were just friends at this point, but you know what that means, like nothing. Like we, I wanted to be more than friends. So apparently, we, we just talked on the phone when I wrote this letter to her. 
And this is, this is what it said. Dear Heather, dude, I am so glad you called tonight. <laughs> dude, like, what, what kind of opening is that? <laughs> when, a, when a guy writes a letter like this, they're like, you like pour over every word. I have no clue what compelled me to think that the first word out of the chute should be dude. <laughs> dude, I'm so glad you called tonight. I have wanted to call you Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and today, but I just figured you were too busy. You're not supposed to say that. You're supposed to say you've been really busy. Apparently I was not. <laughs> so I continued. When I heard your voice, it was so awesome. <laughs> this is so much more painful in front of a group of people just to hear. When I heard your voice, it was so awesome that I can't explain how I felt. You sounded so awesome. Is this not the most lame thing you've ever heard? <laughs> awesome, twice. <laughs> so it got worse. It got three pages of worse. It was so bad. No, I'm not gonna keep reading. No, no, you don't want me to keep reading. No, so all right, so I'm gonna jump to the end here, okay? So here was my rousing conclusion. Dude. I wish this wasn't true. I wish this was Dude, I'm not just wasting ink when I say this. Wasting ink, can you tell I never had a girlfriend? Like, is it obvious? My life isn't the same without you around, and I miss having you to talk with and spend time with. I miss you something fierce. Fierce? Really? Huh. Praying for you, dude. So, <laughs> for those counting, that's three dude mentions and a total of eight lines. Uh, praying for you, dude. In Christ, don't blame this on him. <laughs> this is not his fault. This is your fault. In Christ, David. That is the letter I wrote. Oh, no, no, no. Don't clap. No. Why are you clapping? Oh, you're clapping because you feel sorry for me. <laughs> you know, you're clapping because you feel sorry for my wife. Like... <laughs> Maybe you're clapping for yourselves. Maybe, maybe you thought you were socially awkward when you came into this room, but now you realize, man, you got, you got nothing on me. <laughs> ah, love makes you do strange things. Strange things somehow make sense because of love. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For while we were still weak... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us 
and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Oh. If you don't hear anything else in these few minutes, please hear this. God loves you so much. So much. Not just the person beside you, in front of you, behind you, like right where you're sitting. God. We're talking the God of the universe who is ruling and reigning sovereign over everything in all creation. This God loves you. So much that he does the strange, the unthinkable, the unimaginable, the unreasonable. And he sends his son to die for your sin. So that you, despite all your sin against him, can be totally forgiven by his love. He loves you so much. And I know that in a room this size, there are likely many people who've never received his love in your heart. And I'm convinced, prayed, many people have prayed, that God would draw people to this place today to hear that good news that you might receive his love for the first time in your life. And when we finish this time in the word, you're gonna have an opportunity to say, I, I need the love of God in my heart today. At the same time, I want to speak to you for the next few minutes on behalf of people who have never heard how much God loves them. Nobody's ever told them. And at this point, they don't have any access to that good news of God's love. Bryson talked about them using the words unreached, unengaged. So un unreached, that may be a new term to some of you. Maybe a term you've heard before, not sure exactly what it means. So unreached is a label that applies to about three billion people in the world. Approximately three billion people. I don't even know how to picture that. I mean, that's almost half like of the world, seven plus billion people. So Three billion people are categorized as unreached. What that means is, not just that they don't believe in God's love, it's that they've never heard the good news of God's love in Jesus, and they don't have access to that news right now. So for three billion people, why, why should we care what that word means? Because it, Three billion people, we're talking about three billion people who currently do not have access to the good news of God's love in Jesus. Which that, that's different than just being a non-Christian or being lost or apart from God or in your sin. There's a difference between those things and being unreached. Because if somebody is, is not a Christian, I mean, that, that's the same in, uh, in Atlanta as it is in Saudi Arabia. But there's a significant difference between somebody who's not a follower of Jesus in Atlanta and somebody who's not a follower of Jesus in Saudi Arabia because there's a few churches in Atlanta. You likely drove past many gatherings just to get here today. And there's 
a good number of followers of Jesus in Atlanta. So there's churches and followers of Jesus who have the gospel, have the good news of God's love in Christ. Saudi Arabia, uh, not, a lot of, not a lot of churches. And not a lot of followers of Jesus. And so there, there's a difference when it comes to access to the gospel. That's why we don't say, well, I don't know why we talk about unreached people around the world. I mean, there's unreached people in my neighborhood or there's unreached people in my office. Well, the reality is those people aren't, aren't unreached. You say, well, how do you know? Because they're in your office. <laughs> they're in your neighborhood. And they have access to the gospel. How do you know? You're it. So God in his mercy has made it the gospel available to them through you, through Passion City Church, through churches all across Atlanta that are gathering together, celebrating the gospel, are visibly portraying the gospel as the body of Christ. That's happening in different places. Praise God for that. We're talking about, though, people in the world who don't have that kind of church where they can hear the gospel proclaimed or see it portrayed, and, and people who don't have any Christians in their life who can tell them the good news of God's love in Christ. Three billion people. Which means, so practically, you keep that going. If you're unreached, that means the likelihood is, if nothing changes, you'll be born, you'll live, and you'll die, and you will never hear the good news of God's love in Jesus. You'll never hear the truths that we've sung and celebrated today, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead in victory over sin, and eternal life is available to anyone who turns from their sin and trusts in him. That good news of the gospel, you'll be born, you'll live, you'll die, you'll never even hear it. Well, and that inevitably leads to a question then, doesn't it? Like, what happens to unreached people when they die? Do they go to heaven? If so, how? And Jesus is the only way. They haven't heard of Jesus. Well, do they go to hell? I mean, they never even had a chance to hear. This seems like a pretty significant question. Talking about three billion people right now in the world whose eternity is dependent on the truth to that question. And this is one of the reasons I have us in the book of Romans because part of the purpose of this book was written by Paul to the church at Rome to show them why they needed to help him get the gospel to people who'd never heard it in Spain. You read the end of the book of Romans, Romans chapter 15, he starts talking about his ambition to see Christ preached where he's not been named, and he says, I need you to help me get the gospel to them. That's why I've been writing this book. And so, so I want you to turn back with me just a couple chapters to Romans chapter one. And uh, as you turn back there, I want you to see Paul, <laughs> the Bible under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God help us understand not just practically what it means to be unreached, but biblically what does it mean to be unreached. So we're talking about these three billion people. We've talked about practically they don't have access to the gospel. They're born, they live, they die. They never hear the gospel, okay? Well, what, 
What does the Bible say about unreached people? Four truths that maybe you might write down. Don't, don't just write them on a page, though, or on your phone or something. Just let them soak in to your mind and your heart. What does the Bible teach about these three billion people in the world? One, it teaches that they have knowledge of God. So that's, that's reality number one for unreached people. They have knowledge of God. So if you start in Romans chapter one, verse 18, so basically the first 17 verses of Romans are like an introduction, and then in verse 18, you start to see the body of the letter develop, and this is how it starts. Paul says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth of God by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Listen to these words. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. In other words, what the Bible just taught there is that all people in the world, all seven billion people in the world, have knowledge of God. God has revealed himself to them. There's nobody, they're without excuse. There's nobody in the world that, that can say, God, you didn't show yourself to me. His eternal power and divine nature are clearly seen in creation, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. So regardless, and this, this applies to us as well. So every one of us in this room, every single person in the most remote village of Asia, or the jungle in the Amazon, wherever they might be, all people have knowledge of God. You get to verse 21 in Romans 1, it says, for other they knew God. So the picture is that all people have knowledge of God, including unreached people in the world, have knowledge of God. You say, well, not everybody believes in God or worships God. Exactly, that leads to truth number two. Unreached people have knowledge of God, number one, and number two, they have rejected God. And again, this is not just unreached people. This is all of us in this room. What you see in Romans chapter one, verse 21, is Paul began to describe the nature of all of our hearts. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. So the whole picture there is the Bible's describing our hearts. How every one of us, every person in the world, we have knowledge of God, but we turn aside from the worship of the one true God to worship all kinds of other gods instead. And it looks different in different parts of the world. Maybe in India where I'll be later this week. People have turned aside from the worship of the one true God and, and formed idols with their own hands and put them in their homes and in their communities where they bow down and burn incense and pray to wooden stone. Or maybe it's in uh, the mountains of Nepal where, uh, where people are worshiping the Buddha and following the Buddha's regulations. And, and maybe if you're unreached there, you, uh, you send your son off, your firstborn son off to the monastery to attain Buddhahood. And this is part of your worship of Buddha. Maybe, maybe you're in uh, China or North Korea and you've grown up with a communistic, atheistic philosophy that completely denies the existence of God and so you've turned aside from even the concept of God altogether in your atheism. Maybe you're in the heart of the Middle East and every day, five times a day, you bow down and worship a false god. Or maybe... You're in Atlanta, you're somewhere in North America, and you've turned aside from the one true God to worship gods of money and sports and a host of other things that are offered to us in our culture. 
So it looks different in different places, but at the core, we're all the same. We've rejected God. We've turned aside from the one true God and worshiped all kinds of other gods instead, namely ourselves as God. And so this is, this is the glaring truth for everybody in the world, including unreached people in the world, rejected God, which then leads to truth number three, which is the heaviest in a sense of all because, well, let's put it out there. Unreached people stand condemned before God. They stand condemned before God. Guilty before God in sin. Deserving of God's judgment against sin. And again, this is, this is not just unreached people around the world. This also includes all of us. So, the whole picture that Paul is painting here in the book of Romans is how all people, whether they're Jews or Gentiles, have sinned against God and deserve judgment before God. From Romans chapter 1, verse 18, all the way to about chapter 2, verse 16, he talks about how Gentiles, not, not Jewish people, have sinned against God. You can almost picture Jewish readers of Book of Romans saying, yeah, they're horrible. Then he gets to verse 17. He's like, now you, if you call yourself a Jew and you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God, and he starts saying, you've blasphemed the name of God among the nations with the way you've disobeyed God. So he kind of lets them have it for uh, about a chapter. And then you get to chapter three, verse nine, and he brings it all together. He says, what shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. He starts quoting from the Old Testament. As it's written, there's no one righteous, not even one. No one who understands. No one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. All are sinners. And then you get down to verse 19, and he says, uh, there, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are to, under the law, so that every mouth is silenced. So hear this language. And the whole world is held accountable to God. No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law because through the law we become conscious of sin. In other words, our every attempt to do good, to overcome the evil in our hearts, just shows that we can't do it. And so as a result, every single one of our mouths, so just picture it, seven plus billion people in the world right now, all of our mouths are silenced in our sin before a holy God. Stand, every single one of us stands guilty before him deserving of judgment from him, which, again, it's not, a, uh, it's not a reality we talk about a lot. Judgment we deserve. And you can tell in the way we talk about unreached people because oftentimes people will ask me, they'll say, well, David, what happens? I mean, what about the innocent guy in Africa who's never heard the gospel? What about this innocent woman in, 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 in Asia who's never heard the gospel? What happens to them when they die? And if... Well, if you ask me that question, I have full confidence biblically in saying that person is going to go to heaven when they die. Even though they never heard the gospel, yes. The only problem is that person you just asked about doesn't exist. And what happens to the innocent guy in Africa, the innocent woman, angel? Well, if they were innocent, they would have no sin against God that they need to be saved from. They wouldn't need to hear the gospel of how they could be saved from sin. They're innocent. Of course they'd go to heaven. The only problem is they don't exist. There's no innocent people in the world just waiting to hear the gospel. There's guilty people all over the world. That's why they need the gospel. 
That's why we need the gospel, because we're all guilty. It's almost like we kind of bias the question toward us and away from God from the very beginning, as if God is, is condemning people, innocent people everywhere. The reality is we're all guilty. The default before a holy God for us is not heaven. It's the exact opposite. That's the default. It's, we deserve the holy judgment of God. Hell. Which, again, just the way we don't talk about that. It's surprising in a sense. J.I. Packer wrote, more than any other, it's from Jesus Christ that we learn this doctrine of eternal punishment. All the language that strikes terror into our hearts. Weeping, gnashing of teeth, outer darkness, the worm, the fire, and the great gulf fixed. It's all directly taken from our Lord's teaching. This wasn't something that was made up along the way, like by the church. Like Jesus, more than anybody else, Tim Keller said, if Jesus, the Lord of love and author of grace, if he spoke about hell more often and in a more vivid, blood-curdling manner than anyone else, it must be a crucial truth. It is a crucial truth. People say, like, oh, it's kind of, isn't it offensive to talk about hell? And I would say, it's, it would be really offensive to talk about hell, unless it's true. But if it's true, then that's something we need to talk about. And Jesus says, you need to talk about this, you need to realize this is, just realize, Passion City Church, for every follower of Christ in this room, what we do when we gather together and we sing these songs, we celebrate them. I and this is no game we're talking We're talking about real wrath that we deserve from a holy God that we've been saved from. That apart from that salvation, we would experience forever and ever. When we say things like, that was a hell of a game, or we had a hell of a time, that was a hell of a song, we have no clue the weight of what we're saying. This is not a game. All people, us in this room, every unreached people, person in the world, in and of ourselves, we stand guilty before a holy God deserving of eternal judgment before him. Again, this is particularly important. Yes, it's infinitely important when we think about our own lives. But I know so many people professing Christians who will come up to me and will say, well, certainly, certainly if people don't have the opportunity to hear the gospel, then certainly God will let them into heaven. I mean, they never had a chance to hear. And in one sense, just glossing over the fact that, that they stand guilty before a holy God. But then you kind of even take it to another step, like besides the fact that Scripture nowhere teaches the people, because they don't hear, immediately go to heaven, automatically go to heaven. Besides the fact Scripture doesn't teach that, think about the logic of that with me for a second. If it is the case that people, by not hearing the gospel, sometime, somehow that gives them a pass into heaven, if that were true, then what is the worst thing that you and I could do for their eternity? Go share the gospel with them, right? Like before we got there, 100% of them going to heaven. Now that we got there, brought good news, there's a chance they're going to hell. 
I ain't slept passion 2015, like keep your money to yourself. Like don't, unreached is good, it's the new good. Like just leave us alone. Like No, this is the whole point, the whole missionary enterprise of scripture. There's a reason Paul's writing the book of Romans to say we've gotta get the gospel to them. Because he knows if they don't hear it, they can't believe. This is Romans chapter 10. If they don't hear it, they can't believe. If they don't believe, they can't call on the name of the Lord. And they'll only be saved if they call on the name of the Lord. So this is where it comes to this fourth truth. And this is where it's the unreached are different from us. Up until now, all these truths apply to us. We have knowledge of God. We've rejected God. We stand condemned before God, guilty before God in our sin. But here's the fourth reality for unreached people that's different from us is... Unreached people have never heard the good news of how they can be saved by God. Hmm. Nobody's ever told them that they can be saved from the eternal penalty for their sin. They've never heard the greatest news in all the world. What Paul, it's, the, it's really the greatest paragraph, I think, in all the Bible. Romans chapter three, verse 21. After three chapters worth of man's depravity, it's just heavy, and then you get to verse 21, and Paul says, but now, that's a good transition. All right, we're ready for some good news. He said, here's the good news, but now righteousness of God has been manifested, made known apart from the law to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and, anybody know how to finish that? And fall short of the glory of God and are, yeah, there we go, follow it because people memorize verse 23 and it's like, that's the bad news. The good news is coming. So memorize the good news and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice in the present time. So he's to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. What that paragraph is teaching is that God in his amazing, unreasonable, unthinkable, unimaginable love has chosen to pour out the wrath and judgment do you and me in our sin upon his son in our place. This is, this is what the cross is all about. We don't realize when, when we're minimizing, talk about God's judgment or God's holy wrath, that we're actually minimizing our understanding of God's love and his holy mercy. Do we realize what's happening at the cross? Uh, we think of all the physical realities that are happening at the cross, all the pain and suffering that's there, which are obviously very real, but they are a picture of a spiritual reality. I think, think about Jesus in the garden, preparing to go to the cross. What is about to face him? And he's sweating blood. Why? Is it because he's afraid of what some Roman soldiers are about to do to him? No. I mean, you, you think, think about, since that day, there have been countless people who have, who have died as martyrs for Christ, who have gone to their deaths Victorious, I mean, one Indian man being skinned alive, he tells his tormentor, take off my outer garment. Today I put a new garment of righteousness on. Christopher Love is heading to the gallows to have his head chopped off for faith in Christ. His wife writes a note to him, says, today they will sever you from your physical head, but they cannot sever you from your spiritual head, Jesus. He goes to the gallows singing with his wife applauding him. Did they have more courage than Jesus himself? 
No, 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 no. When Jesus is in that garden sweating blood, he's not, he's not a coward about to face some Roman soldiers. He's a savior about to endure divine wrath and judgment due sin. He knows when he goes to that cross, he's gonna take the full payment do sin, sinners like you and me, upon himself. Hear his prayer. When he said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Look at Jeremiah chapter 25. A cup filled with the wine of God's wrath, do sin. Revelation chapter 14, a cup filled with the winepress of God's fury. That's the picture, do sin. His holy judgment towards sin. That's the picture of the cup that we see in scripture. Jesus knows what he's about to endure. And so he goes to the cross. He takes the full payment, do your sin and my sin upon himself. One preacher described it this way. He said, it's like you and I were standing in front of a dam, 10,000 miles high and 10,000 thousand miles wide, filled to the brim with water. In an instant, that dam came crashing down. The water came rushing like a torrent toward you and me. And before it was about to overtake us, the ground in front of our feet opened up and swallowed every job. So in a, in a much greater way, Jesus went to the cross. He took the full wrath and judgment of God, do sin. He took that cup. He drank down every last drop, turned it over, and cried out, it is finished. It's finished. He has taken the judgment we deserve at the cross. And then we know the good news. The good news keeps getting better, right? Three days later, he rose from the dead. Not talking reincarnation, resuscitation, not talking passed out, went to heaven, came back, wrote a best-selling book about it. We're talking dead for three days and walking around alive. We're talking, you go to a funeral tomorrow, you see man's body put in a coffin, that coffin put in the grave, dirt poured over the grave, and then next weekend, that guy comes up to you on the street and says hello. That's unusual. <laughs> it's the greatest news in all the world, death has been defeated. Eternal life is available to anyone who will trust in the love of God. It's the greatest news in all the world. In the words of Carl Henry, a theologian from the past, he said, the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. And for three billion people, it's not getting there in time. And may these truths soak into our hearts. I, I, I know these truths. I studied, teach, like, but it was a whole nother deal when I, not long ago, was uh, in Nepal, had taken a small group of pastors, we'd flown into Kathmandu, and then we helicoptered up into the Himalayas, very remote area, about 11,000 feet, and then we spent about a week hiking out through villages, unreached villages. It was five days before we even met somebody who had heard the name of Jesus before we had a conversation with them. We're talking, you go up to people, hey, do you know anything about Jesus? Who's that? They don't, they don't even know his name. And for generations, they've not known his name. Come and gone, they've not known his name. And so uh, the most humbling point was when we got to this one area called Pashpati, and nobody prepared me for what we're about to walk up on. When we round the corner and I see this uh, 
It's a, it's a Hindu holy river. I see this river and there's funeral pyres set up on top of the river. And I see these bodies on funeral pyres that are burning. You smell it, you see it. As people are around the funeral pyres mourning and wailing. I'm standing there just stunned silence as I'm looking, seeing, smelling the scene and the guy who's with us begins to explain what's going on. Their custom is within 24 hours of a friend or family member dying, they bring the body to this river, they place it on a funeral pyre, set the body ablaze, and as the ashes go down into the river, they believe this is helpful in the process of reincarnation. So I'm standing there as he's sharing that with me. It hits me. I'm looking at a physical picture of a spiritual reality. Like, these people died in their sin. Apart from Christ, like, 24 hours before they were alive, I'm looking at their bodies burning right now, but the reality is they're in hell. And they're going to be there forever. Revelation 14 says forever and ever, as if the word forever was not sufficient enough to add and ever, just to make sure we get it, like feel it, without end, forever and ever. And then, as if that wasn't heavy enough, then it hits me that most, if not all these people who yesterday were alive, now they're dead, they're in hell, and most of them never even heard how they could go to heaven. Nobody even told them there was another way. What, what will it take for the concept of unreached people to become totally intolerable to us in the church. Like surely among, you, when we think about injustice in the world, like is there any greater injustice than three billion people on a road that leads to an eternal hell and nobody's even telling them how they can go to heaven? What do we do? What do, you, what do you do about that? And this is where Fashion City Church and followers of Christ around this room, I want you to see that God's designed your life to do something about that. And I say that to every follower of Christ in this room. Like without exception, God's designed your life to do something about that. So what can I do? I'm glad you asked. Four exhortations that I would give you. Four exhortations. Just simple exhortations. So here's number one. Pray continually. 
Pray continually. Say, well, pray, okay, I mean, no, I mean, what can I really do? You can pray continually. Do you realize God has designed prayer as a powerful means by which you and I can participate with him in accomplishing his purposes in the world? Prayer, like he's told us, pray to me. I'll hear from you and I'll respond to your prayers. So do you realize, I mean, right now, tomorrow morning, when you get up, before you even get out of bed, before you go to work, you can participate with God in what he's doing in Saudi Arabia through praying. Like from your knees, you can get down and plead. I mean, this, here's a practical thing I would, I would point out. Uh, the Joshua Project has an app, uh, JP Unreached, I think is what it's called. But just search Joshua Project Unreached somewhere. And don't, maybe do it like right now, but like as soon as you leave. Uh, so, uh, so it's just an easy app. So I use this every morning in my time of the Lord. So this morning, I just, just open it up. It's got a new people group to pray for each day. So the Baragi people, uh, 3.8 million of them in India, uh, all across northern India, where I'll actually be next week. So maybe I'll meet some Baragi. And 3.8 million, know how many believers there are among the Baragi? There are known, no known followers of Jesus among the Hindu Baragi. So give some information about them, where they are. And so this morning I'm just praying, God, you love the Baragi. You love these people. You've created them to enjoy your grace and know your glory. Jesus, you've purchased Baragi. Revelation 5, 9 and 10, you've purchased people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation for your praise. You desire their salvation. So make it known, God. Lord, lead people to the Baragi to share the gospel with them. Open their eyes to the gospel when it comes to them. Cause a church to be planted there, to spread from there. So I'm just pleading for that, and I'm trusting God's hearing that, and he's listening to me this morning and he's going to respond and answer that prayer. So let's pray continually like that. This is what Jesus taught us through our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come among the Baragi. Show yourself as king. Cause your name to be hallowed among the Baragi. Your name is not being worshipped right now among this Hindu people group. The name of Jesus is not being lifted high there. It needs to be lifted high there. Cause your name to be hallowed among that people. Pray continually. You can do that right now. You can do it anytime, all day long. So pray. Pray continually. Second, exhortation. Give sacrificially. Give sacrificially. So just ask the question, why are we some of the wealthiest people to ever walk planet Earth in this room? Why? And I, and I know uh, we may not always feel wealthy, Usually we think of wealth in relative terms. We can always think of people that are wealthier than us. They're, like, well, they're wealthy. Just God open our eyes to the fact that when 99% of the world hears the word wealthy, it's our faces they picture. And that's just not the world today. It's the history of the world. So should we feel bad about that? No, no, this isn't about feeling guilty. It's just about asking the question, why? And the reason Scripture gives, Psalm 67, 1 and 2, God gives wealth for the spread of his worship. That's why we got wealth. Now the world says, no, you got wealth so you can have more stuff. No, no. The, the Bible says we've got wealth for the spread of the goodness and the grace and the glory of our God. And he's given us wealth. So let's use it for the spread of his worship. Don't just buy in the world's way of thinking about investment. I mean, it's simple, right? You just you put $1,000 in this stock and this investment, 
10 years from now, you got $10,000 or maybe $100,000, whatever it grows to. Like that is wise investment. Well, that's, that's one option. There's another option over here. You put $1,000 into reaching this unreached people group with the gospel. The gospel goes to that people group and a church is planted there. People have come to Christ and then that church starts to send out others into other unreached people groups and you got a, a ripple effect going to unreached people for the spread of the gospel that's gonna last, not just for the next 10 years, but for 10 billion years from now. There's, there's some wisdom in that investment. So think through, how can you give in your, your life, your resources? Don't buy into this lie that, hey, I'm just gonna get more stuff in this earth. It's gonna burn up in the end. Give your life, give your resources that which is gonna matter 10 trillion years from now. Give sacrificially for the spread of God's love to those who've never heard it. Pray continually, give sacrificially. And third, go wisely, go wisely. Here's why I use the word wisely, because as soon as I say go, I think 99% of you are gonna think, well, I'm not going. Like, not like, you know, not like missionaries do. That's kinda, and those people leave their jobs and, and kinda go overseas and leave everything else behind. Like, I don't think that's what God's calling me to do for this reason, that reason, this reason. I mean, you, you might think, well, I, I mean, I've got, I've got a, a good job, I've got gifts, I've got skills that are being used here. And if you're thinking that, I. I want you to just keep down that track for a second because there's no question you've got gifts and you've got skills. You've got professional opportunities. You've got education. So could it be that God has sovereignly ordained all of those things for the spread of his love around the world to people who have never heard it? Could it be that, that he's calling not just people to leave their jobs to go overseas but actually to leverage their jobs to get the gospel to people around the world? Now that starts to open up some new possibilities. I went on a plane not long ago with a guy. Uh, he recognized me from some Bible study videos. We started conversation, and his name's Hugh. Hugh's from Demopolis, Alabama. Anybody know where Demopolis, Alabama is? Yeah, like three of you, uh, and that's no surprise. Demopolis is no metropolis, I can tell you that. This is, this is small town, sweet home, Alabama. And so, uh, so I'm like, Hugh, where are you traveling to? Where are you flying to? He said, oh, I'm going to Mexico. I said, what are you doing in Mexico? He said, I've got a lumber business and we've exploded, expanded into Mexico. I said, well, that's interesting. Are you anywhere else in the world? He said, yeah, we're in China, we're in Indonesia, we're trying to get in the Middle East right now. I said, Hugh. Have you ever thought about how God's opened up these doors not just for the spread of lumber, for the spread of the gospel through you? Like you got platforms and opportunities in these countries for the spread of the gospel? He said, I've never thought about that. I said, Hugh, you gotta start thinking about that. That's one, one guy from Demopolis, Alabama, okay? I look across this room, all the gifts and skills and opportunities that are represented in this room and how God, what if, what if, what if God has sovereignly orchestrated the globalization of today's marketplace for the spread of his love to people who've never heard it? And it's exactly what he's done. He's got the whole thing rigged. <laughs> so that people know that he's good and he's great and he's glorious. And we'll see it like I think about in, in just unique ways that God has done this in his sovereignty. I, I think about the church I was pastoring before I stepped in this role. We're sitting around one day talking about how to get into a really hard area of the world with the gospel. Kind of area that I'm not going in as pastor, certainly as leading an international mission organization. Like, there's no chance I'm putting that on a visa. And they're like, oh yeah, welcome. Come share with us. So it's not happening. But so we're looking at different job and business opportunities that are there. And so we're sitting there at the table. There's a guy who's in the horse betting business. And uh, uh, so horse betting with a D, not a T. So uh, that's a significant uh, difference. So that'd have been a different pastoral conversation if it was the T, but it was a D. So horse betting, 
bedding. So, uh, so he's in the horse bedding business, and uh, there's, uh, this will get a little weird, but just go with me. Um, so he, uh, there's a unique tree in northern Alabama that's uniquely able to soak up horse's urine and provides for good horse bedding. That's kind of the weird part, but just go with me. So, uh, so he's got this, this great business because he's, they're capitalizing on this tree. So uh, um, anyway, we're looking at the business opportunities, and one of the business opportunities there is horse bedding. And this guy's eyes light up as he realizes this business he's got in northern Alabama is actually opening up opportunities for him to be a part of the spread of the gospel in one of the hardest to reach places in the world with the gospel. And he starts thinking about what that's gonna look like and how we can get behind that. And just, I'm just sitting there smiling, just realizing the creativity of God that in his sovereignty, he would ordain a tree in northern Alabama to uniquely be able to soak up horses' urine for the spread of his gospel in the nations. That's, you can't write a script any better than that. And I'm convinced there's scripts just waiting to be written all over this room and in simple ways. You might not think, well, I don't, I don't have a lumber business. I don't. It's all kinds of things. I mean, I think about one couple. I was just in North Africa. One couple, and uh, they, they have started a little business, just this couple. They'll go into a village, remote village in North Africa. They'll buy a rug for the equivalent of about $50. And uh, uh, then they'll pay the equivalent of about $50 to get it cleaned up, repaired. And then they'll take that rug. So they've got $100 in the rug. They'll take it, put it on a site like Etsy, and sell it to a New York loft owner for $1,600. And I'm just loving the fact that we're ripping people off in New York for the spread of the gospel among the nations. Like, that's, that's so many opportunities. I, I, and college students will come to me sometimes, and they'll be like, I hear what you're saying about the nation. It's like, I just need to quit school and go. And I'm like, no. (laughs) So maybe if you get a vision from the Lord and the church confirms that, like, okay, then maybe then. But aside from that, so uh, here's this story. Like, nursing student who has a passion for the spread of the gospel among the nations. So she started looking for a job doing nursing in hard-to-reach places in the world. So she gets a job in the heart of the Middle East. I won't mention what country. She gets a job at a hospital there. And then she does really well in nursing and she starts raising up in the hospital. She's now head over nursing in this strategic hospital in this 99 point something percent Muslim country in the Middle East. And she has Bible studies in her office every single week and nobody stops her. Do you know why? Because she's so good at nursing. So... Study hard. Don't quit studying. Like you, we the education we're able to get here, the opportunities we have to develop skills. So what if we just reformatted our thinking? What if it's not just about how can I go go get a good degree, get a good job, so I can coast this thing out in a nice, comfortable Christian spin on the American dream until I get to heaven? What if we're created for so much more than that? What if there is a great and glorious God whose love needs to be made known to billions of people and he's given each of us unique gifts and skills that if we'll open our lives up to it can be leveraged for the spread of his love to them. And this changes everything. When we think about our lives, when we think about our future, when we think about retirement. I mean, what's the goal in our culture, right? Retire. Don't work anymore. Enjoy. Oh, Well, what if you're created for something more than that in the last years before you see your Savior's face? 
I think about one city where we've got a pilot project we're working on right now that is rolling out the red carpet for Westerners to come retire there. Like they're coming with all kinds of perks and benefits. They want Westerners to come to retire. This is one of the most unreached people groups in the world, the heart of that city. And so I just want to say to retirees, Go live it up in this part of Southeast Asia for the spread of the gospel to people who have never heard it. The opportunities are there if we will go wisely. If we'll go wisely. So that's my exhortation. Go wisely. Think through. And it may be short term, maybe a week or two, maybe midterm, like month, a year or two, or maybe long term. Whatever. But just go wisely, I guess. And, and some might still be tempted to think, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm not qualified. All you need is the gospel of God and the spirit of God. And you're qualified to make the glory of God known. You say, I don't know if I believe that. Well, a friend of mine living overseas, sharing the gospel, just sharing the gospel with a guy on a street. And the guy had a New Testament with him. And the guy he's sharing the gospel with is looking at the New Testament And this guy remarked that it had nice, thin paper that would be really good for rolling cigarettes and smoking them. So that's what the guy's thinking about is he's trying to share the gospel. So so my friend, just kind of quick on his feet, said, I tell you what, uh, I'll give you this New Testament with all of its nice paper if you promise me that before you tear out a page to roll it into a cigarette, you'll read that page. And so the guy was like, you'll give me the whole book? He said, the whole book. You can roll them all in a cigarette as long as you promise to read the page before you roll it into a cigarette. So the guy said, all right, I'll do that. So he said, I got your word. The guy said, you got my word. So my friend gives him the New Testament leaves. Well, months later, back on the same street, runs into the same guy. says, hey, are you keeping your promise to read pages before you roll them into cigarettes? This is the guy's exact response. He said, well, I read and smoked my way through Matthew. And then I smoked my way through Mark and Luke. I smoked all the way to John 3. And I read this verse, verse 16, and everything made sense. I realized that God loves me so much that Jesus died for my sins. Now I've asked him to forgive me and to become my Lord. (laughs) And just... Just to finish out that story, the guy who smoked his way through the New Testament is now training to be a pastor. So, uh, you know, I'm not necessarily recommending that particular method, like, but I am saying this, this gospel is good. It will do the work. It can't do the work if we don't take it to them. People say, well, maybe God's going to come up with other ways to get the gospel to them if we don't go. Dreams, visions will reveal himself. And I could tell you story after story of dreams and visions. But uh, you won't see one verse in the New Testament where the gospel is going forward apart from a human instrument taking it and proclaiming it. Even when you see dream and vision, Cornelius, God says, Peter, go. And so... Does God have the power to make this gospel known in other ways? Sure. God has the power to put uh, the Roman road in the sky tonight in the stars. Just write it out and reach everybody. But he's not chosen to do that. 
Instead, he's chosen to save sinners like you and me and then use us to make this known to other people in the world. Because we are plan A and there is no plan B. So my last exhortation is simple. Surrender completely. Would you say today, Christian, would you say today to God, here's my life, all I have, all my possessions, all my dreams, the position you've put me in, my gifts, my skills, my education, my family, everything, my future, like a blank check on the table with no strings attached. Would you just say, here I am. Use me however you want. However, wherever, whatever you want me to do to make your love known among people who've never heard it. Would you just say that to him? I'm not asking you to say I'm gonna move to North Africa tomorrow. Like, it's just, would you say as a recipient of mercy and love, here's my life, everything I got, use me to make your love known. I mean, it sounds kind of crazy, right? Like to say, are we willing to let go of anything and everything this world has to offer, this culture has to offer? I'll let go of it all to make your love known, just whatever you want me to do. It sounds pretty strange to say that until you realize love makes you do strange things.